The Stinkin' Truth Podcast is presented by Core Water. He spent 12 years in the NFL. You can't trust a guy that gyrates his hips after he scores. Has three Super Bowl rings, made multiple Pro Bowl appearances, over 16 years of broadcasting between ESPN and Fox Sports. And that's why I'm the greatest football player and best sports analyst ever. He's a soap opera star. That's pretty, uh... I can't remember what I was supposed to say. <laughs> As a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here. And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Your host, Mark Slareth, along with my co-host, Mike Evans, uh, producer extraordinaire, Scott DeHuff. And I'd uh, like to thank our presenting sponsor, Core Water, brings this program to you free of charge every single day or week or however often we decide to do it because um, <laughs> that's what we do. We do whatever we feel like doing. Yeah, but I- I'll tell you one thing that Core Water does. Um, they present some of the best tasting water you'll ever have, a balance with electrolytes to match your body's natural pH level of 7.4, and that's where your body does its best performing at that pH, 7.4. And you can tell by taking a look at me when I'm on TV that 7.4 is right where I locate at. <laughs> I'm great. Um, and, and my skin, it's supple. It's beautiful. It's uh, it's gorgeous. It's glowing. Probably has to do with hydration. And I hydrate with core water. I've got the uh, gigantic water hole where you drink that the stuff. Right? I mean, the water hole, that's, uh, is it, a, what is that again? Did we, did we come up with the term for that, a water hole? The uh, the spigot. The, the spout. The spout. <laughs> Anyhow, it's gigantic. And one of the things I like about it, you can mix some protein. It's big enough. That hole is big enough. You can pour your protein powder right in there, in that water hole, that spigot, that spout. It's great. Shake it up. Have a little protein blast with your 7.4 uh, electrolyte balance. I mean, natural pH level. Oh, my God. Is there anything this water can't do? No. That's uh, that's just fact. Find it at 7-Eleven, uh, core water, pH-balanced water, uh, filled with electrolytes. Uh, learn more at hydratewithcore.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? How's, how's things going? How was your weekend? Well, it was good. Um, I had I had one of those moments with my son. So can I – because you, you – you, you had the talk with him? No, like, no, 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 no. He's only 11. Uh, oh. But uh, – so, you know, you coached your son, Daniel, and yes. he was a great athlete, ended up pitching in the major leagues, and, and we hope he gets back to the majors. But, you know, so my son is, you know, in the very early going, so I love coaching him. But so he's playing in a football game this past Saturday, and he uh-huh. plays, plays middle linebacker, and it was one of these plays that were ran wide, and they play on a 100 by 50 field. So it's a, it's a long run for these kids, but still. Um, so he takes off, and then he stopped. He quit on the play. Thought he couldn't make a play. He quit. He stopped. And the play ended up continuing and coming back towards him. Mm-hmm. Had he continued to run, he would have been in position to make a play. He didn't. The guy ended up going for a score. So I, I didn't say anything because I was I was away from the play. But after the game, one of the assistant coaches comes up to me and he says, hey, I just want to let you know I kind of got into to Brady uh, after the game because, you know, we lost and I was really unhappy with our team's overall effort. And I, I kind of singled him out, you know, mm-hmm. for that play. And he's he's really down about it. I said, good. I said, if you hadn't got on him, I was going to get on him. And so in the car ride home, you know, it's just he and I, you know, we, a lot of dads have been in this situation. And I gave it to him, you know, to the yeah. point where it's like, you know, you show more enthusiasm for those 
blah, 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 bleep, bleep, bleep video games you play than anything else you do in your life. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, no video games. And, you know, so then my wife later, who wasn't there, knew nothing about it, calls my son. Hey, how's it going? He breaks into tears and says, Dad thinks I'm a failure at life. (laughs) Sorry. So, so I'm, I'm almost just spit out my coffee. More, you're more, a dick. More, oh man, oh yeah, right, right. You you're care to care to share your Gatorade story? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, you know, before we even do that, I it, this is this is kind of cool. I don't know if you. We have, by the way, my son and I have since made up. Okay. Although he's still not playing the video games this week. So. Good. Well, he shouldn't. You know, he shouldn't. You, you're you're right. You got to have passion about that stuff. I always like for me, it was always about you know my son was just gifted he was just really exceptionally talented at throwing things you know um broke a lot of windows um but he was just exceptionally talented that way and so it was always about how hard you play not about how good you are right that that to me is how hard you play i've seen plenty of guys who have all the talent in the world that didn't make it but a really cool thing happened for me and it was brought to my attention yesterday because everybody on social media started sending me this Mike Vrabel clip. And if you know Mike Vrabel, I actually played against Mike Vrabel, but Mike Vrabel is now the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And he was talking about how he told his quarterback that he couldn't wait to see him play, Marcus Mariota, based on his practice and everything else. And 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 people were asking kind of what was the genesis of you telling Marcus Mariota you couldn't wait to watch him play. And, and here's what he had to say about that. Well, it was kind of based on, I, I first learned that because I was probably the, no, I wasn't probably, I was the overbearing dad uh, when my kids played sports, right? And my wife gave me this book from Mark Schlereth. And I said, I can't read that whole thing. I'm not going to be able to get through that book. I'm sure it's great. I said, can you just give me the cliff notes? And so she's like, here, just Here's what he said. His kid was a baseball player and a good baseball player. And all he said was, I can't wait to watch you play today. Not, hey, don't strike out. Don't hit a home run. Don't Just say, I can't wait to watch you play today. And that's what I started going to when the boys were, you know, seventh, eighth grade, and I needed to calm down. And so I thought he had a great week of practice. And, again, that's I got the best seat in the house for a guy that had 400 yards total offense and – I felt like he was, you know, I was enjoying, I was ready to watch him play and take the practice week that he had and, and translate it to the game. Wow, that, that is cool. Honestly, I never knew you wrote a book. Yeah. What? Well, I did. I, the Huff's I did. Googling it for me. It's called Ready, Set, Play. play. Right. Well, the, the, whole, the whole genesis, me and a buddy of mine, and we did this project together, but it was really just – like encouraging, like you're telling me about your kid, Brady, wanting like being passionate about video games. And my whole premise, the the whole thought process behind writing the book was just how important it was to play with your kids and how important it was to just kind of um, be able to go out there and, and you know, and, and interact with your kids and how you would never, ever regret missing you know, the last quarter of the game or the last, uh, you know, couple innings, if you're out there doing something with your kids and teaching your kids how to play. And and that was kind of the thought process of the book. And what I ended up doing is just through ESPN, back when I worked at ESPN, 
was just soliciting a lot of people that I had run through and run across and, and that had become acquaintances or friends about about their childhood experience when it comes to playing. And what was it about that experience that, that helped them have success as athletes later in life? So, you know, we got Micah Ruzioni and we got, you know, Julie Foudy and we got, um, you know, just uh, – like all kinds of of really accomplished um, professional athletes, you know George Foreman and and you know and and so just put these kind of stories together in this book and um, and and so that was it. But my whole thing, and you mentioned the Gatorade story, so I was that father that you know I demanded a lot of of my kid. Um, because mostly because he was so gifted and it wasn't like I monitored, you know, all like, how good are you playing and all this? I just wanted effort, man. I just wanted him to be engaged in the game and to give great effort. And he had this summer where he was just, I mean, on fire, like not only pitching, but, you know, hitting, and he was a really good hitter. And. I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, he's he's. They used to call him the, the other fathers nick nicknamed him at, at little league that we that I coached with and that we played with. They nicknamed him the franchise. So they'd always be like, "How's the franchise feeling today? Is he ready to go?" You know, that was that was Daniel's nickname. And so I held him accountable and kept his kind of feet on the ground, if you will, um, kept him grounded. So I'm coaching. I'm coaching first base, and he ropes this double. I mean, ropes this double, and it is a shot. It probably doesn't leave, you know, the ground more than 20 feet. And so he's trotting around first, admiring his his handiwork, and I kid you not, that thing hits this chain-link fence. And you know how sometimes they kind of bow out like something's, like, wrong? Yeah. It hits this chain-link fence. It is, like, it didn't go 20 feet off the air, you know, or, or over the, the ground, you know? It was just a blind shot. Hits the fence. And I kid you not, it rebounds back to the right fielder, like I mean, on a rope right back to him. Um, and you know, like he's thirty feet away from the fence, and it just goes wing right back into his mid. So he spins, and my son sees it jump back off the fence. So it careens off the fence into the right fielder's glove, and then he sees it, and now he starts running. Right now he's like, oh shoot! So now he starts running, and he gets thrown out. He gets thrown out at second base. Um, by about five feet. So I'm pissed, you know, right? Right, because that's an effort issue, right? Don't go admiring your handiwork, run. And so it, it takes no effort. Like, it, it doesn't take talent to give great effort, right? And right. there was no effort involved there. So I literally, that's the, the third out, I literally meet him, you know, between first base and second base, and I'm like, that effort is unacceptable. You know, I'm I'm hot. And, of course, I'm playing at the time, so I'm 290. You know, <laughs> I'm big, maybe 295. It's hot. My balls are sweaty, and I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're, you're cranky. Right. And so we get in the dugout, and I'm like, this is unacceptable. You know, and I am like teeth are grit, and I am pissed. Right? And he's looking at me. Like, whatever. And as I'm kind of cussing him out in there, or not cussing, I wasn't cussing, but I was firm in the way I was talking. And so we got the whole dugout in there as I'm giving it to him. And he reaches over, 
and grabs this red Gatorade and starts swilling it like he deserved, like, ooh, man, that uh, trotting around first and getting thrown out of set at second will really, you know, it'll really amp up your thirst. Like, like it's a commercial, right? And I kid you not, man, I slapped that damn Gatorade out of it. It just spread. We had these white uniforms, you know, where the, we were the Silver Falcons, and they were white, and they had this, you know, royal blue piping and silver lettering. You know, they were sharp. And I slapped that Gatorade out of his hand, and it went all over the dugout, and all the parents were like, <gasps> right? <laughs> There's a 295 ball sweaty angry dude <laughs> slapping Gatorade out of 12 year old hands, <laughs> and my wife comes up to the back of the dugout. You know how it's chain length yeah. and chain link fence, and you're in there, and she is crying. <laughs> you need to leave right now. <laughs> You need to leave. So I got kicked out of the baseball game. By your wife. By my wife. So So you have to like two hundred and ninety-five pound oh, yeah. just head head hung low. Right. Shoulders slouched as you make the walk of shame back to your car. Back to my truck. <laughs> get in the truck. Hmm. Hot. Parents are scared to death, you know. <laughs> Big, angry, 295-pound grizzly bear. Uh, long story short, oh, though, Mike, love, the, lesson, the lesson in that is that there came a time when I had to, I had to realize, you know, that um, it really was about, you know, being a little bit more gentle and, and getting to the point where, Instead of instead of having you know that kind of intensity, that I really could just enjoy him playing, yeah. um, and you know, and I and that was that was on me, you know. I mean, I was sometimes you you set unrealistic expectations, you put adult beliefs upon a an eleven year old or a twelve year old, you know, and they physically or mentally they're not ready to handle that challenge, and you know they can't be focused every single day because they're 12 you know you know right so you, you put these real unrealistic expectations on there and at that point i really stepped back and said you know what i just have to enjoy the ride use those as teachable moments but not as you know i'm going to cuss you out moments and there were way way too many of those for me and um regrettable i've, I've apologized to my son a thousand times you know, and he'll be the first one to tell you, had you not been that tough on me, I would, you know, I probably wouldn't have made it. Mm -hmm. He'll be the first one to accept responsibility for that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I, I regret some of the stuff that I did um, because I applied my professional athlete mentality and the fact that I was playing professional sports at the time I was coaching my kid and I almost, I, I essentially demanded, you know, that kind of that kind of focus, and it was it was just wrong. So I appreciate though Vrabel. That was really cool for me. It was an honor to have even Vrabel mention my name while he was talking about how he came to that kind of perspective. That uh, for me, that was really really cool. Well, you never get done learning lessons, no matter mm -hmm. what level you get to, even the highest level of coaching. And I, I guess Frank Reich. Learned a lesson, or or maybe only reaffirmed what he'd always believed and learned. Uh, 
caught a lot of heat for going for it on fourth and four in overtime instead of punting it away and playing for the tie. I I thought I would have punted the ball away. But, you know, I'm one of those guys that says, hey, look, there's a value in a tie late in the season. You know, all of a sudden that tie actually can work in your favor when you're looking at tiebreakers and lost columns and all that stuff. So I, I would have punted it away. What about you? No, I, 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 I'm 100% in support of Frank Reich on that. I went back and looked at it. You know, I was, I was calling a game on Sunday, um, so I didn't see it on Sunday. And then yesterday, you know, you and I yesterday were in studio um, for for our radio radio show in Denver early sun, uh, Saturday, or excuse me, early Monday morning. So I was in studio, and then I ran to the house. I packed and I jumped on a plane. Flew out to Los Angeles. I ended up watching, you know, the the Rockies game and then the Broncos Monday Night Football game. And I haven't normally on Mondays. I spend about six seven hours going through all the tape of of you know the Sunday's games because I don't get to watch them when I'm calling a game. And uh, I did not get that done. So I went back through that game um, early this morning and looked at that situation. And I'm with Frank Reich. Like, go for it. Do I, do I want to play for the tie or do I like what message do I send to my guys um, in my locker room? Like, I don't believe in you guys. So let's just play for the tie. Um, I'm with him. You know, you had 40 seconds or whatever left on the clock. Um, fourth down and four. Let's go win a game. Let's just go win a freaking game. I believe in you guys. And I think sometimes you send a message to your players that, hey, we're ballsy, man. And I believe in the guys I got in this locker room. And I think as a player, the player in me, Mike, even if late in the season it it comes back to bite you in the ass, the player in me says, I appreciate a coach who believes in me. I appreciate the coach on a fourth down and one that says, hey, dudes, we're running lead ISO, and we believe in you enough to say this is on you guys up front. Get it done. I love I love that I love it and I don't ever want to let that guy down, and I just feel like in the long run, that in the long run making that decision does nothing but help Frank Wright from a credibility standpoint. It helps Frank Wright when it comes to every other thing he does, and I just believe the players rally around decisions. Then, like then that. what's the point? Then these coaches, these staffs. They go over every possible scenario. They have all the numbers to back it up. Probability of success when it's a certain down and distance at a certain point on the field. That's not a high percentage play at that point. Everything about the analytics will tell you the smart play is to kick the ball away. So, okay, at at the end of the day, you're like, hey, you know, I, I was aggressive. I went for it. Right. When... If you're if you're cool headed about it and smart about it, you punt the ball away, and you're you're in a position to increase dramatically your odds of getting a tie. Which at at the end of the day, a tie ends up being a heck of a lot better than a loss. But you're saying that the residual effect will, I guess, give you more success down the road. Boy, I. Then you're gonna have to you're gonna have to see an example of a game that they're set to lose right. that they end up pulling out of the uh, the fire and they end up winning it simply because of them being and him being very aggressive. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Mike, I, I think there's, I think the problem that we get into with analytics today, and there's so many things, you know, that you can measure in so many, you know, stupid statistics that, uh, you know, nerds look at on a daily basis and think they know something about playing football. Um, you know, the Cleveland Browns and, and their organization over the last few years ha- have more on that until they went out and got themselves a real general manager and looks like they're making some changes there in Cleveland. But, you know, I digress. Um, I, I think the bottom line is sometimes it's about gut reaction. Sometimes it's about how your team responds to you as a person, as an individual, as a coach. Um, I believe there's some things that you just can't measure. And, and you know, whether or not we'll see that come to fruition, whether we'll not, whether or not we'll see kind of uh, the fruits of of that decision, um, you know, uh, play themselves out as a a playoff berth or something. I don't I don't know, but I just know that in a locker room, stuff like that plays well for your head coach. Guys, respect those type of decisions. You know, put it in our hands, coach. And I think the other thing is they'll look at it like, man, he gave us a chance and we let him down, and and sometimes. I think that can be a good thing too. But again, it's not necessarily one of those things you can measure, Mike. It just is. It is what it is, and and I respect the decision. Like uh, as a player, I'm like, I respect that, and I'm sorry I let you down, and and it won't happen again. You know, I mean, I, that's just me. Um, and I get the whole, I get the whole tie and the half game stuff, and what happens at the end of the season. But I, I'll never look at Frank Reich and go. Boy, what a stupid decision that was. You know, you think about the decisions that are made and, and how they, they reverberate around a locker room and, and how they affect a team. And, you know, I'm watching Earl Thomas get carted off the field the other day as he's flipping the bird, apparently, to the, <laughs> the mm-hmm. Seattle sideline. Uh, you you were at that game. You were, you were calling that mm-hmm. game for Fox, Seattle and Arizona. You had a chance to be around Pete Carroll and and the Seattle team. What what? What are you picking up on with this whole Earl Thomas, the holdout? He comes back, but mm. then he's back, but he's not practicing unless he wants to practice. And there's there's all this talk that, you know, the, the, the Seahawks are just about ready to trade him, and then he gets hurt, and now he's done. I mean, what what? how'd you read that whole situation? Well, I mean, you know, I, I talked to Pete about it in, in, you know, in our production meeting, and Pete was like, he, Pete was cool because he was like, I'm glad you asked me this, you know, because uh, I wanted to talk about it. And, you know, I mean, obviously, when Earl was away from the team, there was no communication. It was, you know, it was, it was tenuous. It was angry and everything else. And, um, you know, it's been a process since he came back to the team to kind of work through the process. But Pete is a very relational guy, you know, and he's like, until we could get down and and sit down and chat about things and essentially say, we want the same things. You know, we want to win. We we want these things. Um, and sometimes the business part of football um, gets in the way, Mike. It, it gets in the way. And I get it. Um, it's, you know, it's part of the deal. It's an, an unfortunate part of the deal. Um, it's always interesting, you know, for, for us as players, as a former player, is that all, you know, fans, they root for laundry, and they all are always like, honor your deal, honor your deal. Players ought to honor their deal. And unfortunately, you know, the the league never honors their deals, you know. I mean, they always 
cut guys early and cut guys. They, they sign them one year, a five-year deal. They cut them the next year. I mean, it happens every single year. And when guys outplay their contracts, guys want to get paid. They want to be compensated. Um, Pete was like, I understand the business aspect of it. And, you know, he's upset and he's frustrated with the business part of it. And, and I get that. Um, but he said, you know, Earl Thomas wants to be the best ever at his position. And how could you not want to coach that guy? And so it was a it's a really interesting and tough situation. Um, you know, and Earl came back and Earl decided to play and obviously broke his leg. And, you know, here's the deal. It's it's better than tearing a uh, anterior cruciate or it's better than, you know, tearing a patella tendon. And, and so um, he came back. He's going to get a big contract from somewhere. Um, whether it's Seattle or whether it's somewhere else. So it's unfortunate that he that he broke his leg. But I understand the pent-up frustration. I understand, um, you know, the upset with management and all those things. Um, you know, you, you shouldn't flip off the sideline when you're on a cart. You know the, the camera's on you. I mean, that's just – it's not something you should do. But is that how I'll remember Earl Thomas as a Seattle Seahawk? Um, you know, some people say that's indelibly will be marked. That, that will be, you know, will mar his career or that's how he'll be remembered. But that's not how I'll remember him as a Seahawk if this is, in fact, um, you know, his last stand with the Seahawks. Okay. So, Seattle, where do you see this thing going? Because this thing seems to have the feel of something that could fall apart here pretty quickly. Oh, you mean just with with Seattle? Just the the whole vibe around this this team. Do you think Pete Carroll's got this thing under control, or is it starting to unravel? No, listen, they've they've won two games in a row. Um, they have, you know, I mean, they won. They opened up this kind of Pandora's box by giving guys voices, and you know, and letting guys play that the, the the role they play whether it's Richard Sherman or Earl Thomas or Cam Chancellor or um you know or or gosh who was uh, Michael Bennett or you know th- that's what's going on so um but I think Pete's in a pretty good spot with with the guys on his football team on his roster um and I think defensively I think they're a hell of a lot more talented than people give them credit for. Now, I think they need a couple of pass rushers, but I think that defensive secondary is okay. I think McDougal at the safety position is playing as well as any safety in football right now, including Earl Thomas. Um, Tedrick Thompson is going to get a chance to play now that Earl Thomas is, is down. He was great in the preseason. So, you know, I think that part of their defense is is pretty legitimate. And, you know, talking to the guys and, and being around that football team, I didn't get a sense that they're all like pissed off at at Pete Carroll. I think it's like anything else. There's a changing of the guard. There's, um, you know, a, a, you know, some positions that that are lacking, um, offensive line wise, pass rusher wise. But I didn't get the sense that this is a team that's fractured in any way, shape, or form. I I, I got a, a sense that this is a team that wants to compete and play together. Still think of you and uh, that image of you, two hundred ninety-five pounds, sweaty balls, mm. just just going like all Lou Ferrigno, Incredible Hulk. You wouldn't want to see me when I'm angry, type of thing. Yeah. Oh, those poor parents were probably horrified. 
Probably um, terrified yeah, for their kids. They were scared to death. They're scared to death. <laughs> but I did. You know what? I never, in all my coaching years, I never had a parent come up to me and complain about their kids' playing time or say that I wasn't doing something right. Um, that's the benefit of of you know being two ninety five and being a you know six hundred pound bench presser. Um, you know. Nobody, nobody questions you. No, my kid only plays two innings. I think that's the right choice, Coach. I think it's the right choice. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, no, that was really, you know what? Honestly, that's I, I think that's great advice for for all of the dads out there, like myself, who are involved with our kids and in, in youth sports. And you're right. Sometimes, you know, we're we're try, I think we're trying our best to convey the right kind of messages, but sometimes you just got to remember just just. Just go out and play, have fun, and I'm looking forward to watching you play. Leave it at that. Yeah, right? Looking forward, man. I can't wait to watch you play. Go out there and do something fun, special. How about it? No pressure. If not, I'm going to knock that Gatorade right out of your smarmy little hands. Right. And if you don't play well, I'll I'll, uh, take away your video game. I'll smash your video game. There you go. Smash your video game. Stupid Fortnite. (laughs) <laughs> i'm telling you man i don't know it's a it's like a national addiction right now have you played it no no, no. but it's it's i mean literally every kid that age is into it every um, kid's into it it's nuts it you know it you know it's funny when my kid was grow when my kids were growing up and my daughters included i didn't let them play video games and that's when, you know, Nintendo was big and, and Mario Brothers was big. And there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. And, and I didn't let them play. Even, and I had the consoles and stuff. But I didn't let them, I didn't let them play video games. Well, you, def- you definitely got to keep, I you, just was you like, gotta, you got to keep it. You do have to keep a close eye on it. Uh, well, but here, here was the you deal, You got to keep though, a Mike. tight rein on it. Yeah, here was the deal. I was available as a father. So I was like, now, I, I had a unique job, right? So six months of the year, I was at home. I went and lifted, and then, you know, after school, I was home every day. So instead of, you know, if they didn't come home to play video games. They came home to play with me. So we, you know, we just were outside goofing around, playing. Um, you know, we used to play this hide-and-seek game with Nerf bow and arrows and different things, and they'd have to hide, and then we'd make, like, the mailbox would be base, and then they had to get to the mailbox before I hunted them down and shot them with a Nerf bow and arrows. You know, stuff like that. That's it was great. Slaying kids in the neighborhood. <laughs> awesome. Oh, Just awesome. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Might want to be careful. Stay away from that Schlereth house. <laughs> All right. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, brother, man. Always good to be with you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Please share it with all your friends, uh, and um, and we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much to our presenting sponsor. That's Core Water, where I just crush these commercials every single week. That's Core Water. Check it out. Go to 7-Eleven. Pick some up today. For Mike, for Scott, for myself, we'll talk to you guys again uh, right around the corner. All right, cool. All right, good stuff.